You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. As the women came to the tomb, the first thing they brought to the tomb was a question. They were perplexed. Who's going to roll the stone away? I wonder what question you brought to the service this morning. It seems as if every week I'm faced with questions. What if? What if God could do this? But what if God doesn't do this? I wonder what question you brought this morning to the service about your marriage, about your future, about eternity. A lot of what-ifs, isn't there? Our goal this morning is that you would leave with the one and only answer to every question that perplexes you this morning. And the answer is Jesus. Because Easter changes everything. Father, Lord, we give you this service. Thank you, God, for what you began Friday night in our hearts as we stood at the cross. Lord, as we experience the darkness of the cross, the pessimism, the doubt, the fear, we've had three days to think, to really meditate upon what you did for us on the cross, and now we come to the tomb this morning. We join these women who came to the tomb And some of us have questions. Father, I pray that every question, every what if, would be answered today. God, I love you. And I thank you in advance for everything you're going to do. And for every person that was sitting in this building at 9 o'clock and now is sitting in this building at 1045, thank you for the gift of that person to gospel light this morning. We do not take that for granted. May we steward this opportunity according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. What if there was a God who removed our sins as far as the east is from the west? What if this deity's delight was not in perfection but in how you progress? Oh, how suppression would be successively suppressed. Oh, how depression would be repeatedly depressed. What if this God never took a recess but always refreshed, allowing us to reset? What if he traversed knowing I transgress so a breastplate of righteousness could be placed on my chest? What if there was a God who was matchless in might? Oh, how in his presence I would delight. What if there was a God who restored our sight Oh and bestows upon us undimmable light What if we walked by faith to fight the good fight Because at the mention of God's name All demons took flight What if there was a God who was supreme And superior in strength Oh how I'd walk humbly sharing camaraderie with the meek What if there was a God who speaks the light that we seek Despite my finite perspective I'd receive surpassing peace What if there was a God who never left Leaving us unforsaken What if I never again knew desolation Or better yet had hope in the midst of tribulation. What if there was a God guiding me through temptation, then I'd walk with him into any country or nation. What if on a cross, this God, 
became my humiliation, taking on the payment for my sin, personifying my propitiation. What if this God was rich in mercy and full of grace and I'd pursue intimacy with him, seeking his embrace? What if there's a God in whose image you are made? Then I'd marvel at the creativity of he who creates. Now, wait a minute. Because this is all hypothetical. Let's propose something outlandish. It's strictly theoretical. What if this God legitimately knew you? But as if that isn't enough, also desired for you to know him. What if this God forgave me for my sins? So regardless of my past, he loved me in the present and his purposeful plan allowed my future to take precedence. And because we're continually contriving these contemplative inquisitions, what if this God desires relationship over religion? What if he upheld promises instead of traditions and confiscated anxiety via prayer and petition? What if this God knew all the laws I disobeyed and all the rules I'd broken and then broke bread with me and called me chosen? What if he sent his son in the fleshly form of the words that he's spoken and his kingdom was inclusive, not exclusive, never closed, always open? What if there was a God in the deepest depths of my darkest valleys, in the careening corridors, intimidating intersections, and most terrifying alleys. What if this God knew every crevice of the Grand Canyon, corner of the Caymans, and crater of the moon, but that same God knew the number of hairs on my head and promised he'd be returning soon? What if there's a God who was omniscient, all-knowing, with wisdom unparalleled? What if he knew my ambitions or aspirations, and in the palm of his hand they were held? What if there was a God who was omnipresent, everywhere, all at the same time? And then he marveled at me and said, my son, I choose you very truly, you're mine. What if there was a God who was omnipotent, all-powerful, whose nature was sweet and kindness was palpable? What if he was supreme and superior in strength? What if he desired to entrust his might to me? Then might I see the mighty strength of a mighty king permeating inside of me? This is crazy. Like, it'd really be unique, but it seems too good to be true. Look around at what we see. We see destruction, despair, and rampant destitution. We see happiness that's elusive and love as an illusion. We see disaster, degradation, and every reason for depression. We see passivists passing with subtle suppression, apathetically settling for passive aggression. We see truth that is relative and people who don't know they see in the mirror we see a society suffering trying to make that reflection clear so it seems impossible like seriously how could it be like a god who sees what i see as the prince of peace and as a kingdom that is unforeseen like in the midst of brokenness he willingly arrives to fix like a god who immerses himself right into the mix like a god who transforms your perspective before he changes the picture you see so the next time you look out your eyes are one with thee, like a God who grants you strength to persevere perennially and generates generosity via gratitude genuinely. Like this God would have to know that our circumstance doesn't dictate our praise because regardless of the trial we face, we're so spurred on by his grace that our hands remain raised and like we would run to God faster than a race because in the midst of miserable mayhem, we'd long for his face. Then we'd be entrusted with a hope that's inconceivable, a truth too good to be true, believing what had appeared unbelievable. Then we'd awake and spend our days loving who didn't shy away from the darkness within us where our minds try to escape. Then he'd meet us in that place with a measurable grace and say, come home, son or daughter, you're not too astray. In my kingdom, there's every reason to stay and I'll run to your rescue without delay. What if there was a God? What if my most imaginative, creative, embellished what-ifs paled in comparison to the God that exists? What if I no longer asked myself, what if? What if I went and told someone else what is? 
all around the world today, billions of people are celebrating Easter. It is without question the most celebrated event in history. Easter is just that. It's all about an event that happened in history. I mean, it's about something that really happened. You see, Christianity was not birthed in a moment around someone's teaching. It was not birthed in a new answer to questions. Christianity was birthed in a day that something happened in history. And that something was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are many religions and belief systems that embrace a book. They might embrace a prophet. They embrace values. Sometimes they even embrace rituals. But for Christianity, the whole thing really hinges not on a teacher, not on a philosophy, but on an event. Unlike the founders of other major world religions, the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, is alive. His life was the turning point of history. The death and resurrection are the cornerstone of Christianity. And the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. But initially, initially, all of the people who wrote about Jesus rising from the dead, initially they never believed that he would actually rise from the dead. They didn't believe it until after he actually rose from the dead. Nobody anticipated the resurrection. Nobody expected no body. There was no crowd outside the tomb doing a countdown, waiting for Jesus to come back to life. Ten, nine, eight, seven. When Jesus died, Here's what they thought. Everything was finished. None of them expected Jesus to come back to life. On Friday night, we left the service with the thought that it's always darkest before the dawn. And this morning, on Easter Sunday... Sometimes we call it Resurrection Sunday. We find out that joy comes in the morning. And that's the announcement this morning. There's going to be times in life that seem so dark, like Friday night. There's going to be times in life that that things seem so lost. But the resurrection of Jesus reminds us of the truth that the psalmist told us in Psalm chapter 30, in verse number 5. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The King James translates it like this. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it like this. The nights of crying your eyes out, they'll give way to days of laughter. Have you ever cried yourself to sleep? 
Have you ever cried so much one night that you woke up and your pillow was drenched with your tears? It's as if Eugene Peterson's paraphrase says, that which you used to cry about one day, you'll laugh about. And then in the New Living Translation, it says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, I grew up, I'm 58 years old, just turned 58 a few days ago. I grew up kind of when Southern Gospel was uh, more popular than it is today. And, and it's, it reminds me of uh, some of the things from the past that still affect our, our future, our days today, our present. I remember an old song entitled Joy Comes in the Morning. And I just, as I've been preparing this message, it was written by somebody by the name of Dallas Holm. I'm just really curious. Anybody remember Dallas Holm? Wow, okay, a few of you do. If you've knelt beside the rubble of an aching, breaking heart, when the things you gave your life to fell apart, you're not the first to be acquainted with sorrow, grief, or pain. But the master promised sunshine after rain. Hold on, my child, joy comes in the morning, weeping only last for the night. Hold on, my child, joy comes in the morning. Your darkest hour means light is just inside. Joy comes in the morning. Have you ever thought about how the followers of Jesus Christ felt that first Easter morning? Everything they had believed and hoped for seemed to be gone. Everything they put their hope in was gone awry. It was dark. It was depressing. It seemed hopeless. But I am here to tell you this morning that joy comes in the morning. The future they had expected with Jesus Their dreams of a deliverance from Roman oppression and the promise of a comforter all seem to be unmet expectations. But I am here to tell you that joy comes in the morning. The disciples had not realized at first that the cross and the tomb were actually a part of God's plan to to bring saving grace to the world. But throughout the story of the resurrection... We see that Easter changes everything then. Now, here's what I want you to know, and this is so important for this audience this morning. Easter changes everything now. Don't miss that. Because I think everyone here this morning, unless you just came to be entertained, and and, unless maybe, and and you know, I I get it. I mean, sometimes it's kind of Easter to Easter, right? I mean, it's like the last time I was in church was Easter last year. And, and, hey, I got an invitation. I came, and so far so good. but, But can I tell you something? God wants you to leave different. God's got a plan this morning because Easter changes everything. After the resurrection, they had hope again. And we're going to read this morning from an account in the Gospel of Mark and begin with the final stages of the burial of Jesus. There's so much more about the resurrection in the other Gospels. Matthew says more about the resurrection. Luke says more about it. More detail. John says more detail in John 20. But it's interesting that Mark 
though he doesn't give as much detail, he focuses in, interestingly enough, on an individual by the name of Mary Magdalene. Join me as we read Mark chapter six, uh, Mark chapter number 15, beginning in verse 46, and then all the way through chapter 16, verse by verse. And Joseph, he brought a linen shroud and taking him down, taking Jesus down. Picture this in your mind. He wraps him in that linen shroud, Jesus. He lays Jesus in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw, they saw where he was laid. It was a dark time for the followers of Jesus Christ. It was much like we all felt on Good Friday. Dark. The light went out. And they were, they were, they were, they were confused. They, there was a, a doubt and, and pessimism in their hearts. But then in Mark chapter 16 and verse 1, we see the sun rising and joy beginning to come. Look at the very next verse in the next chapter. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early in the week, when the sun, S-U-N, had risen, they went to the tomb. Time out. Would you not agree with me that they didn't go down to the tomb expecting the stone to be rolled away? They, they, they were not expecting Jesus to be risen. It was not their faith that brings them to the tomb. It was their love for Jesus that brought them to the tomb. They came to aromatize his body. They came to, to, to bring some spices to aromatize that which smelled Listen, they, they had heavy hearts. They had tear-stained faces. They came thinking, we've lost the master. His burial took place at dark, but his resurrection, resurrection took place at dawn. Because joy comes in the morning. Notice what the Bible says as they went to the tomb. It said, they came to, to, to the tomb when the sun had risen, S-U-N, but also the S-O-N had risen as well. It wasn't just the S-U-N. It was the S-O-N that had risen. And as a result of that, Easter changed everything. So I have a question for you this morning as I give you my three thoughts. Why did the rising, not of the S-U-N, but why did the rising of the S-O-N, the Son of God, why did that change everything? Number one, Easter changes everything. Easter replaces pain with joy. Now, I want you to ask yourself the question this morning, what pain did you bring into the auditorium this morning? What pain? What disappointment? What struggle? Come on, let's be honest. Am I the only one that brought some pain with me this morning? I'm not, am I? I mean, we all, listen, we're living in a world that Josh described in his spoken word as things that we see. When he was going through that narration of we see this, we see this, we see this. Didn't you not agree? I mean, haven't you seen this past couple of weeks the pain across our nation? The pain across our world? We see it everywhere. It affects our own lives. But Easter replaces pain with joy. Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 3. 
on the way, they were asking each other, ladies, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? These women started on their journey to the tomb in unbelief, in disbelief. They question, they, they, did they go expecting to see Jesus, yes or no? No. Did they go expecting to witness the resurrection? No. It's clearly a no. They were expecting to find a dead body. That's what they were expecting. There's something beautiful about that. These women who came to the tomb with spices. You know, there's some people who love even when it's painful. Here comes a loving woman to the tomb. Not because of her faith, because of her love. There's some people whose love does not faint when the conditions change. It's rare to have someone in your life like that. Anybody can love you when things are going great. But real love endures all things. Real love will keep on going when the thrill is gone. Love will give when the pulse is weak. These women, they came to do what they could with a situation that they could not change. They were people who were in pain of a loss. They were struggling. They had pain in their lives. They came to aromatize his body. But something was about to happen that would pierce the darkness. Look with me at verse 4 of Mark 6 as we walk through this narration. As they arrived, they looked up. When I saw that, I thought, man, I need to point out to our audience that this is the first sign of change. The very first sign of change is that they changed their focus from down to up. You know, I see that almost every Sunday morning. I see a lot of folks come to church and they're down. It's tough. I mean, it's been a long week. It's been discouraging. There's been a lot of things that have happened. And one of my goals every Sunday, just to let you know, is not to leave off uh, the, 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 the bad news of our sin and, and the consequences of our sin and, and the fact that at times we do need to repent. But I want everyone here to know every single Sunday you come to Gospel Light that there is a God in heaven who loves you and cares for you and died for you and wants to save you. And I love to see people walk out of this building where when they came in, their heads were down, but when they walk out, they're looking up. Amen. And they looked up. And look what it says here. They saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe on the right side. The women were shocked. They were shocked. When they got down to the tomb, there was chaos. This was crazy. The stone had been rolled away. They were expecting a closed tomb. Who's going to roll the stone away? They were expecting a closed tomb. But when they got to the tomb, they found an open tomb. And then the very next verse tells us that they experienced the message of great joy. Because joy comes in the morning. Look, if you would, please, at verse 6 of our, of our text. And the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look. This is where they laid his body. Now, ladies, 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 gentlemen, go and tell his disciples, including Peter. 
that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb. They were trembling and they were bewildered and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. But I love Matthew's gospel. If I could just insert a little, I told you Matthew and and, and Luke and John mentioned more. Well, I found a little bit, uh, an interesting little part of that moment that was mentioned in Matthew that wasn't mentioned in Mark. Look at chapter 28, verse 8. The women ran quickly to the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. They were frightened, but they also had this other emotion of joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message that joy has come in the morning. Then, the very next verse, there is a mention and and a focus on Mary Magdalene. Look at it with me. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene. In John chapter number 20, it tells us much more about that. But Mark focuses in on the pain. The pain. The pain. What kind of pain, preacher? She had, when Jesus met her, she had been filled with seven demons. Demons. The pain that she had experienced in her life. Seven demons. Her life was dark and demonic. Would you not agree with me, church, that one demon would have been enough, but seven evil spirits plaguing her every single day of her life? Her life was filled with pain. Her life was filled with misery. And you know something I have found out as I have pastored Gospel Life Baptist Church for these years? That the devil is still busy plaguing people with pain and misery. That's really what I do just to let the cat out of the bag, a lot of what I do as a pastor is sit with people every week at lunch or in my office and just help them sort through the pain. The pain of life, the pain of drugs, the pain of addiction, the pain of adultery, the pain of oppression. I can speak out of experience that that so many, even in this room, know what this is about, pain. Mary Magdalene knew oh so well, but everything changed when she met Jesus. Maybe you've seen some of The Chosen. Maybe you haven't. The Chosen is a documentary on the life of Christ. I haven't even got to watch all of them. But when I was, when it first came out, I I saw this clip. And as I was preparing the message, I thought, I wonder if I can find something that might share a moment with the church about what it might have looked like when Jesus met Mary of Magdala. I don't know if this is exactly what happened, but I can tell you it may come close. Mary of Magdala was possessed with seven demons, and she was distraught. The scene before this just shows that confusion and that distraught and how she was feeling, but then she meets Jesus. Just take a look at this for a few moments and walk into this scene with me. When Mary met Jesus, her life of pain and suffering of her past was replaced. What was it replaced with? Peace and freedom through grace. Have you had that moment where you met Jesus? Do you know some of what it means to have the peace of God to flood your heart, to flood your soul, to change everything? Mary's past could have been weighed down by, by, by 
her down by keeping her from serving God. But God's grace had forgiven her sin and replaced her pain with joy. And here's the message this morning. The Easter message is this, that God can do the same for you. Mary was shocked and fearful after the crucifixion, and rightfully so. I mean, she, she had watched the horrific death of Jesus on the cross. She had witnessed it just as we did and experienced some of that on Good Friday. Her grief was compounded when she went to the tomb. But the Bible reminds us that Jesus appeared to Mary first. In Mark 16, 9, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene. And when Mary experienced the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it renewed her trust and it replaced her pain with joy. Maybe you're here this morning. You've, you've met Jesus. You've become, you, you are a Christian. And, but it's been a while since you've been in church. It's been a while since you've read your Bible. It's been a while since you've talked to God in prayer. But you're here this morning. I have good news for you. Whatever pain you've been through, God can replace it with joy. The resurrection gives us grace to overcome the pain and suffering of life. Easter changes everything. Easter replaces pain with joy. Secondly, Easter removes pessimism and gives hope. In fact, those two words are almost synonymous. You can hardly say Easter without saying hope, and you can hardly say hope without saying Easter. Mary runs to tell the disciples the news that Jesus is alive. I mean, that's how I felt this morning when I was walking across the street, coming into this building from my office. I mean, listen, I had to jump in my step. I did. I, had to, I hope you didn't expect a preacher to get up here this morning and just kind of, well, it's good to be here. I'm glad anybody showed up. You know, I don't really have much to say. I hope you didn't think that. I hope you're not wondering why there's some enthusiasm and some excitement. Why? Because I, this morning, experienced the, the, the love of God in a way that, that maybe I have not in a long time. Prayerfully, I did. And I want you to know I was excited to come and run across the street and preach at 9 o'clock and preach at 1045 because I've got a message to tell. And so did Mary Magdalene. Oh, she runs to tell the disciples. She is full of joy. She wants everybody to know what she's seen. Look at Mark 16, 10. She went to the disciples. They were grieving and weeping. She told them what had happened. She had a message to tell. Since Jesus was gone and couldn't tell his story, she goes and tells the story of Jesus. Fanny Crosby wrote some songs. One of my favorites is, Tell of the cross where they nailed him. Writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in that story so tender. Clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious sweetest that ever was heard the story have you told the story lately have you told the story of jesus have you sat down with a co-worker and said i want to tell you some good news that this week as you were thinking about this service and the power of the message of the gospel on easter sunday is there something inside of you that wants to tell the story mary magdalene said i've got to tell the story but notice the response she got to the news she had it's found in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 11. 
But when she told them that Jesus was alive, when she told them that she had actually seen Jesus, they didn't believe her. I mean, she told them, Jesus is alive. We don't believe you. No, no, but I've seen him. I'm telling you, I saw it with my own eyes. Ah, you're seeing things, Mary. He's dead. They were full of pessimism. Full of negative. Then Mark in the next verse, verse 12, records another sighting of Jesus that Luke gives in more detail in Luke chapter 24 on that road to Emmaus when Jesus appeared in another form to two of his disciples and, and then they try to tell their friends about what they had saw. Look at it, verse 12, afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Why? Because pessimism often comes from discouragement. Oftentimes, pessimism comes when we are disappointed and disillusioned with things that happen to us in our lives. I deal with it every day. Every day. I deal with pessimism. Because things have happened to people. The apostles were disappointed after the crucifixion. They were disappointed. They were discouraged. They had expected Jesus to destroy Israel's enemies. They had expected Jesus to set up his kingdom. The arrest and the trial and the death of Jesus left the disciples feeling hopeless. And even when hope was offered to them, they refused to accept it. Happens all the time on Sunday morning as you preach and teach the word of God. And it's rejected sometimes. It's, I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Pessimism. Can I ask you a question, and would you answer it honestly in your heart? Have you ever been disappointed by someone? Let me help you. Probably me. Just in case you were trying to think of somebody. You don't stay somewhere 30 years. By the way, you don't stay on this staff one year and not be disappointed with your boss. Oh, I'll disappoint you. I'm human. And sometimes when preachers disappoint you, you get disillusioned. Sometimes when church members disappoint the pastor, he gets disillusioned. That's why pastors don't stay very long at churches. That's why they leave. It's tough. You get disappointed. You think, man, I'm wasting my time. Does anybody really care? And, and it gets, look, I get it. I get it. Pessimism often comes when we are disappointed. Disappointments keep us from serving God. Disappointments keep us from going forward. Disappointments oftentimes keep us from getting involved. How many people have I said, hey, you should get involved? Ah, no, not me. Listen, I've done that before. I got burnt. And I'm just, I just told myself I'd never do it again. Pessimism. This morning, I'm asking you to access the grace of God. Rise above the pessimism that could limit you and your work for him. Pessimism leads to unbelief. That's what happened in this story. The disciples have been taught about the resurrection, but their pessimism stopped them from believing. Jesus had tried to reveal the resurrection to them in Scripture over and over and over and over again. Let me give you one example in Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 31. Look at this. For he wanted Jesus, spending time with his disciples, he said, I'm going to teach you something. So he says to these disciples who now are saying to Mary Magdalene, we don't believe you. He said, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed. 
But three days later, he will rise from the dead. It doesn't get any clearer than that. But because they did not believe the teaching of Jesus, they doubted when things did not work according to their plan. I wonder if things haven't worked out according to your plan. You know, I thought thought it'd be different. I thought becoming a Christian would be different. I thought joining a church would be different. I thought this would be different or marriage would make it better. When the news reached the disciples, Luke records it this way. It was Mary Magdalene in Luke 24, verse 10. Joanna married the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense. So they didn't believe it. This is crazy. You've lost your mind. Jesus is not alive. We saw him dead. And we believe he's dead. What I learned from this is the trials and pain of life can cause us to become skeptical, disappointed, and doubtful. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning to make it real. Have you ever doubted God because of your pain? Have you ever stopped reading your Bible? For a period of time, because of pain. Have you ever stopped talking to God? Just because, you know what, it felt like my prayers are really not even going anywhere, so I'm just going to give up on this prayer thing. We live in a negative world. It's so negative. And if we are not careful, we can have a pessimistic spirit attitude without even realizing it. And it seems as if the house of God has more pessimism than almost any other place. And yet we have the greatest news that the world has ever known. I say this to you today, Christian, and I hope by by today you are beginning to realize it, that there is no reason to be downcast. Jesus has already fought and won our battles, and the tomb is empty, and, and victory is ours. We have won the victory. Easter changes everything. The resurrection removes our pessimism. The resurrection removes our doubts and replaces it with hope. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 14, notice, still later, the next verse, still later he appeared to the 11 disciples. They were eating together. We're going to be talking about dinners with Jesus the rest of this month. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. He rebukes them. You know, sometimes we, don't we need rebuking sometimes? Anybody like me? Anybody ever need correction? Anybody ever need somebody just to get up in your grill? Come on now. That's what I picture Jesus doing right here. Hey, gentlemen, I'm gonna, I got something to say. You didn't believe her. But guess what happened? These men turned the world upside down. Their pessimism turned to hope because the empty tomb does just that. It produces hope. Hope that the impossible can be possible. Can I tell you something? One of the most exciting times in my life is when I stood where they believed the garden tomb was in Jerusalem. When you stand there and when you look at that hole opened up there out of that stone and you see that the stone is rolled away. You stand there and 
You begin to imagine what it would have been like to be with those ladies and walk up to that tomb and then walk in the tomb and two men dazzling with white apparel and he's not there but he's risen from the dead. The excitement you would have felt. And as I stood there with all of our, many of our church family in a larger group picture with another church and, 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 and many of you in this building were with me in that story. Listen, the tomb is empty. He is risen, just like he said. And our pessimism can be replaced with hope. And that's what the empty tomb offers to all of us here this morning. It offers hope where there had been no hope. The hope of forgiveness. The hope of a new lease on life. The hope that death is not the end of it all. God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. Number one, Easter replaces pain with joy. Number two, Easter removes pessimism and gives hope. And number three, Easter renews purpose and gives meaning to life. Because if there was every, anybody, if there was any group of people, just read any of the gospel narratives, if there's any group of people looking or lacking purpose, it was the disciples when Jesus was in the tomb. These dudes gave up. They gave up. They were going back to their jobs. Yeah. I mean, they were given something, but they said, you know what? Jesus told them what to do, but they said, we don't believe he's alive, so guess what? We're just going back to fishing. We're going to go back to what we used to do. There's, There's no hope. They didn't know what to do next. But... The resurrection changed everything. Easter changes everything. And what happened was they were given what we call the Great Commission. Look at verse number 15 in Mark chapter number 16. It says, and, they, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And after he rebukes them, he reminds them, listen, gentlemen, I am alive, and you've got a purpose, and you've got a plan, and that's this, to tell the good news to everyone you come in contact with. God saves us not only so that we can have eternal life and grace for living, but God also saves us so that we can touch the lives of other people. And I want to tell you something. That's one of the most joyful things you'll ever do with your life, is spend it touching the lives of other people with the good news of the gospel. I love it. I had fun yesterday, just sitting down with a couple of different people, a couple of different times during the day. They're in this room right now. We experience some things together. We, we, we experience hope, and together we, we realize that, man, there's something God can do to change my situation. And if you're here in this building and you felt that, I know you want to say amen right now, because Easter changes everything. It transformed Mary Magdalene's pain to joy. It changed the disciples' pessimism to hope. And it gives every Christian, including you, purpose and meaning in life. The crucifixion shows us God's love, but the resurrection shows us God's power. God's power. Man, I'm just dumb enough to believe that God's power can change anything. God's power can change a life. God's power can, can, can take someone out of addiction, someone out of addiction, even if they've been addicted to it for 20 years. God's power can turn that around. God's power can change any marriage in this building. God's power can change any youth in this building that's wayward. God's power can answer any prayer. God's power can do anything. I've talked to so many people lately who have said, my life feels so out of control. 
I've talked to so many people lately who have said to me, I feel so powerless over my situation. I feel so powerless to change my marriage. I feel so powerless to break this bad habit. I feel powerless to get out of debt. I feel powerless to save a relationship. I feel powerless to manage my time and my schedule. What you need is a power greater than yourself. You can't do it alone. No amount of counsel will will do it. No amount of prescription drugs will change your situation. You need a power greater than yourself. If he raised the dead, he can work in your life. Whoever you are, wherever you're sitting, Jesus raised the dead. He can work in your life. God says to you this morning, don't give up. Don't give up. He may have sent me to tell you that, but that's what he's trying to tell you this morning. Don't throw in the towel. Joy comes in the morning. He can resurrect your marriage. He can resurrect your family. He can resurrect your career. Hey, listen, the situation may seem hopeless, but if you turn it over to him, he's got the answer. The answer to your problem, the answer to your pain, and the answer to your pessimism is not a principle. It's not a preacher. It's a person, and the person's name is Jesus Christ. And John chapter number 11 and verse number 25 says, I am the resurrection. Now get this, Jesus said, I, Jesus, I am the resurrection. I can resurrect you. I can resurrect your situation, whatever it is today that's dead, I resurrect dead things, Jesus said. I take the temporal and I can make them eternal. I take what's dead and I can bring it back to life. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Get this, even after he's dead. He'll live if he believes in me. God not only gives life, but God gives purpose and meaning to life. And God wants to give purpose and meaning to your life today. Once you begin to see your marriage as something that God can cause to come alive again and something which has eternal meaning and something which has eternal significance before God, you are going to want your marriage to be revived and restored and you are going to want to be vibrant with love again with your mate. Once you see it, once you realize it, God wants to bring purpose and meaning to every marriage in this room. Once you see that talent that you have, man, this room is full of gifted people. Gifted people. But all too often, the talent comes to church every Sunday and sits in the seat and walks out and doesn't come back until next Sunday. But you're talented. You're gifted. And God has gifted you for a purpose. God has a plan for that talent. God wants you to use it for him. In fact, next week we're having a ministry fair where my prayer is that God might use this little portion of the service to cause us to say, I want God to use that talent that's been lying dormant. Once you see that within you as something which God wants to see come alive in you, and you begin to see it as as if I use this talent, it will have eternal purpose. Once you see that, you will want to use that gift for God. 
Once you see that God wants your paralyzed and disappointed and pessimistic heart to come alive and express love to people so they can be saved and live forever in heaven, you're going to want to start loving again, even if it means you need to be vulnerable and take a risk. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Because you can see how God can use you, you, to reach someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Because there's nothing so dead and there's nothing so insignificant that God cannot bring it to life and give it eternal purpose. He wants to give you eternal purpose this morning. He wants to take your talent, your marriage, your gifts, your abilities your relationships purpose again let Jesus who said I am the resurrection and the life resurrect and give life to whatever questions you brought this morning into this service Easter changes everything it changed everything then it changes everything now every head bowed every eye closed just for a moment I want to go the extra mile this morning Here's why I love Easter. Because I believe Easter is the perfect time for someone to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I do. I believe there's no day of the year more fitting to give people a chance to be saved. I mean, go, go out of my way. Make it simple and clear. Listen, I want to challenge you to sit, consider becoming a Christian in spite of the fact that you know some. In spite of the fact that you work with some, in spite of the fact that you're married to one, in spite of the fact that you've had a bad church experience, in spite of the fact that you've got pain in your life, I would like for you to consider becoming a Christian because it's Easter and joy comes in the morning. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, sitting in a church will make you a Christian about as much as sitting in a chicken house will make you a chicken. Because you came this morning doesn't make you a Christian. Well, I've been baptized. You can get baptized in every lake, river, and stream in the world. And that doesn't make you a Christian. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus this morning is waiting for you to say, yes. Yes, Lord Jesus. I believe you shed your blood for me on the cross. I believe you were buried But God, I believe you did not stay there. You rose from the dead to save me. And today I confess, Jesus, I repent of my sin. Today would you accept right now where you're seated in this moment, would you please right now ask Jesus Christ to save you? Right now, in this moment. Maybe pray just a simple prayer of repentance. Just tell Jesus what's on your heart. Ask him to forgive you. Just like Mary Magdalene, he's calling you by name. You are his. I wonder how many in the building would say in this moment, pastor, whether you're in the balcony or on the main floor, and there's a lot of people here. I may not see everyone, but I wonder today if you might say, Pastor, this morning, 
I'm receiving Christ as my Savior. I'm putting my faith in Him. I'm repenting of my sin. I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior. This morning, I want to walk in newness of life and experience the Easter that changes everything. I want Jesus to raise my life one day to spend an eternity with Him. If you're making that decision this morning, could I see your hand for just a moment? Would you lift it up high enough where I can see it? God bless you. And God bless you over here to my right. Anybody else? Just raise it high enough to where I can see it. Just for a moment. Just quickly raise it. And just for a few seconds. Yes, sir. Thank you. Who else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Here's my hand, Pastor. Today, I'm making this decision. And God bless you, my brother. Thank you, brother. Who else? God bless you in the balcony. Thank you, my, my brother or my sister. I can't see. It's dark. But thank you. I see that hand all over this building. And I may not have seen them all, but I want to say this this morning. If you raised your hand, you've got to tell somebody. You've got to tell somebody. Oh, listen, I have come to tell you the good news of the gospel. And this morning, if you have connected with that gospel in a way that you've never connected with it before, if this morning it's the first day of the rest of your life as a believer, as a Christian, as someone who has experienced the resurrection power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you in just a moment to step out. When we give this invitation, you got to tell somebody. You got to tell somebody next to you. You got to tell somebody up front. But just tell somebody. If you don't feel comfortable coming all the way to the front, I'll be here and, and Pastor Butch will be here and we'd love to pray with you, right, Butch? I mean, wouldn't we love that? But, but hey, if you don't feel comfortable coming all the way up to the front, just tell the person next to you, guess what I just did? You're not going to believe this. But today I gave my life to Jesus. And then tell me after the service, I'll be in the back shaking hands. Don't leave without letting me know the decision you made for Christ. But maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. And you know, you've been one for a long time or maybe for a year or a month or or, or 10 years or 20 years. But you've experienced pain and loss, disappointment and disillusionment and discouragement. Well, I got some good news for you. This morning, Jesus wants to take that pessimism And he wants to turn it into hope. God has a plan for your life. I don't know who you are. I talked to some people this week who said, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I'm just, man, I'm just disillusioned. I've just been away from God. I I, I just, Pastor, I I want to come back to him. I just need a path. Well, this morning he's cleared a path in the form of a church aisle. And he says, Come, come, come to an altar. An experience of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that can change your pessimistic condition and give it hope. Oh God, don't let don't leave this building with unanswered questions. Let Jesus be the answer to that question. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand. And when we stand, we're going to sing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we stand and respond. The balcony and the main floor, would you respond as the Holy Spirit leads you? Would you tell someone what God is doing in your life? Would you seek to get the help from a brother or sister near you? And let's see God do a resurrection work this morning. Father, I love you. I thank you for the word. The word, the word is powerful. It's quick. It's, it does not return void. Thank you for letting me be the messenger. Just as easily could have been Butch Fry or Scott Mercer or Mocha Pacey or, or Jordan Elkins or... Jeremy Horton, it could have been any one of our pastors. This, 
nothing special about me this morning. Lord, there's something special about you and your power. And Lord, your word does not return void. All you need is a vessel, a messenger. How shall they hear without a preacher? And so this morning, Father, I have preached the word. And I pray, God, that right now you would go forth as a, as a powerful witness to this word. And that you would meet the needs of the people of this building in a way that you have never done before, God, in their lives. And God, may we respond in our hearts, in our actions, in our feet, in our emotions. God, may we respond and allow Easter to change everything about our lives, about my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?